The epistle is from James chapter 1. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please rise for the gospel. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 16th chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Jesus said, But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, Where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. (coughs) Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. If you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. You know that. You've said it. You've heard it before. If you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. It is a kind of proverb that is helpful to keep you out of trouble, to spare you and others pain. If you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. And in fact, it's a very biblical proverb. You might seem to think that we might think, well, that's what is James is talking about today in his epistle lesson. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. If you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. Actually, the book of Proverbs is full of this kind of wisdom. If you've never browsed the book of Proverbs, you should do that. Just take it up sometime and open it up and read a verse, a single verse, and try to figure out what it's saying, where the wisdom is in that. Solomon had lots to teach his son, including this. But if you can't say anything nice, you shouldn't say anything at all. And here's why. Solomon gives lots of reasons for why you should be slow to speak. He says in the first place that if you are a fool and you open your mouth, then you only prove that you are a fool. So maybe you've heard that quip before. It's often attributed to Abraham Lincoln. It's better to be thought a fool and remain silent than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Better to keep quiet. Because, in fact, here's how Solomon puts it, the vexation of a fool is known at once. That is, if you open your mouth in haste, if you are quick to speak, 
If you say something unkind right away because it comes straight into your mind, then you just prove, you demonstrate your folly because you should know better. You should know that it doesn't pay off, it doesn't help. In fact, it hurts. And here's how it hurts. Solomon tells us that being quick to speak, being rash with your words, hurts you. So here's how he puts it. A fool's lips walk into a fight and his mouth invites a beating. I love that one. You're walking straight into trouble if you have hasty, loose lips. If you speak too quickly, you invite somebody to give you a pounding because you're just going to irritate them, just make them angry. You hurt yourself and you stir up trouble. That's one of the reasons why so many people love to be quick with their speech because they see how they can stir up trouble with their speech. A harsh word, Solomon says, a harsh word stirs up anger. That's what it's useful for. That's what quick speech is good for, stirring up strife, causing conflict. And that's the most conniving, devious kind of a person. Maybe you've seen this among siblings, knowing just the right thing to say, to poke the bear and cause trouble. Words can do that, especially words that are spoken too quickly. Spoken too quickly, words can also invite sin, which is worse than disagreement or a conflict of opinions. Sin is worse. And here's how Solomon puts it. He says, when words are many, that is when you open your mouth a lot, which of course I think about all the time because my job is to speak and open my mouth a lot. And I wonder how this goes wrong. When words are many, transgression, Solomon says, is not lacking. Think about it. How often sin is hidden in words, and the more words there are, the more likely there is sin. Hasty, rash, abundant speech can cause trouble. You hurt your neighbor, and this is perhaps what we should pay closest attention to. It's not so much that you might hurt yourself or that you might just cause trouble, but you actually hurt your neighbor when you are quick to speak, when you say unkind things, when you don't curb or bridle your tongue. Here's how Solomon puts it. With his mouth... The godless man would destroy his neighbor. Or he puts it this way. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. His rash words are like sword thrusts. thrusts. They pierce straight to the core of a person. You've heard words that are like that. You've felt words that are like that. You've seen how words that are spoken quickly can hurt. On the other hand, Solomon is careful to tell us that there's a contrast Although hasty, rash, and quick words, unkind words, can cause all kinds of trouble, a kind and gentle and patient word puts out a fire. It's not just neutral, but it's actually salutary. A soft answer, Solomon says, a soft answer turns away wrath. It lets the air out of the balloon. It throws water on the fire. A gentle tongue, Solomon says, a gentle tongue is a tree of life. A reference to the Garden of Eden, the source of life altogether. A gentle tongue that isn't like a whip, isn't like a scorpion, but instead is soothing and calm. That's the tree of life. Death and life, Solomon says. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and a setting of silver. That's pretty powerful. And that's a reason to take heed of this proverb. If you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. And on the contrary, strive to find the nice words, the kind words, the gentle words, the patient words 
and you will avoid all of this trouble and bring peace. That seems to be something of what James is talking about today. Be quick to hear and slow to speak. But I want to tell you that there is more going on than just a commonsensical proverb. In fact, all of these proverbs, all of these things that Solomon says, they are things that the world knows. They're things that everyone knows. That proverb is not unique to Christians. You don't have to be a Christian to know that you're better biting your tongue than lashing out. But James is after something different, something deeper. And you know how this works. It's never what's on the outside that's really the problem. It's what's on the inside that's the problem. So St. James says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Slow to anger. He doesn't say, be slow to vent your anger. That is, let it out at a steady pace so you can get the most bang for your buck from your anger. He doesn't say, let your words be angry, but at a good proportionate level. He says, be slow to anger altogether. Like God is slow to anger. When God reveals himself to his people, when he talks about who he is and what he is like, his slowness to anger is one of the most important characteristics. Listen listen to how God identifies himself. He says, I am a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, literally long-suffering, enduring all kinds of pain long before he gets angry, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. If God is anything, if love means anything, it means this, slowness to anger, not being hasty to judge or condemn, but patient, enduring suffering, taking the insults, taking the abuse, and looking for what is good for your neighbor. This is the answer to so many of the why questions about God. Why doesn't he do something about all of the sin in the world right now? Why didn't he put the axe to Adam and Eve right then in the garden? Why doesn't he send a flood right now and wash away all of the wickedness? Why does he allow such terrible things to continue to go on in our world? Why does he suffer so long with us? It's because he loves us. It's because he desires that everyone be saved. God takes no delight in the death of a sinner. But he desires that everyone would be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And so he is patient. And he waits and he hopes and he loves and he is kind and gentle and compassionate. He speaks soothing words, calm words, words that are meant to heal. He binds up the brokenhearted. He makes accommodations for the weak. He makes allowances for those who are not strong. He does all of that because he loves us. And he wants us to be saved. Here's how Solomon puts it. He says, hatred, hatred stirs up strife. It gets a rise out of trouble. But love covers all offenses. Not just some. Not just the ones that are easy to cover. But all offenses. Think about that. God's love covers everything. His blood on the cross, Jesus' blood on the cross, covers everything. There are plenty of sins that we are glad to overlook 
sometimes because they're our own sins, the sins that we commit against others, and so we are glad to overlook them in others. And there are other sins that we just don't think are a very big deal, but each of us has in mind, if I asked you today, what is some sin that you think is the worst? The one that rises above all of the rest, the one that is hardest to cover, the one that you struggle to forgive, I bet you could name one, and even that, even that is forgiven. Even the nails that were pounded into the hands and feet of Jesus, even the curses and mockery, even the crown of thorns on his head, all of that was forgiven. His love covers all offenses. That's what God does. That's how he is. That's what his slowness to anger, his mercy, and his graciousness looks like. And that's what St. James wants for us. He does not want us just to bite our tongues, although he wants that for sure. Next week he'll tell us that if you don't bridle your tongue, if you don't put a bit in your mouth and direct your whole being by controlling your tongue, then your religion is worthless. That's what he says, bridle your tongue. But that's not all that he wants. He doesn't just want your tongue under control, he wants your heart under control. That's where anger begins, that's where rash speech comes from, that's where strife comes from. The righteous man is slow to anger. He has new desires, a new heart. You've been given new hearts that love the way God loves, not the way the world loves, not selfishly, not turned inward, and that's what matters, your heart. Here's how St. James puts it just before our lesson. He says, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings death. Death is the end of the story. The hurt that is caused by rash words, that is the end of the story. The beginning of it is in our hearts. It's never what someone else has done to me that made me so angry, but it is my desire, my sinful desires in my heart that took the occasion to be angry. The problem is here. The problem is here where desire begins. And so Solomon warns us. He says, be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the bosom of fools. It takes root. It sticks in there. That's what anger does. It's not just a passing thing. It's not something that's just for a moment. But when you indulge it, when you let it find a home in your heart, it lays down a foundation and it builds a house. And then rash words, hasty speech, unkind things that are said, all of those are easy. They just flow naturally out of our hearts. Good sense, Solomon says, good sense makes one slow to anger. And it is his glory to overlook an offense. Think about that. Our world tends to glory in all of the wrong things. Being right, winning the fight, not having anyone who can hold anything against you. But what is the glory of a Christian? It's the same thing that is the glory of God. It is overlooking offenses. It's the death of Jesus on the cross. That's his glory. The Gospel of John talks about the glory of Jesus, which is being lifted up, not on a throne covered in jewels and covered in gold with a scepter in his hand, but the cross lifted up on the cross, suffering for his beloved, suffering for his enemies, suffering for you and me. It is his glory to overlook all of our offenses. It is our glory as well to do the same 
not just for our own offenses or the offenses of our friends, but for everyone. To overlook offenses is our glory. And that, that is what leads to slowness of anger. It's putting a stop to the thing right where it starts, in a heart which desires the wrong thing. So we should set our minds on the same thing that Christ had in mind. What do you desire for other people? What do you desire for the people who you find yourself angry with? What do you desire for the people against whom you speak rash and hasty words? What do you desire? Do you desire that they be saved? Do you desire that they receive blessings from God? Do you desire that they be found in God's eyes favorably, that he would look on them with love and compassion and give them every good thing? Is that what you desire? Because that's what God desires for them. That's what he wants for them. That's what he has given to them in the cross of Jesus. And so also should we desire the very same thing. That requires a great deal of humility. It was really unnatural against God's nature for him to be brought so low, for him to take on the form of a servant, to suffer and die. That was counter to everything that was innate in God. He shouldn't have had to die, and yet he did it. He brought himself low in order that he could raise us up. We don't have to bring ourselves low. We are low already. We just have to realize it. We just have to recognize it. Solomon puts it this way. He says, who can say, I have made my heart pure. I am clean from my sin. Which one of us can say, I've not done the same thing. I've never done the same thing that that other person has done. Which one of us can say, I thank God that I'm not like other men. Which one of us cannot say, there but for the grace of God go I. Which one of us can lift, us, lift ourselves up by our bootstraps and put ourselves in the place of God and speak words of judgment or condemnation? Which one of us can be assured that our words are right? We are low, and it is God who should exalt us. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? Solomon says, there is more hope for a fool than for him. More hope for a fool than for the man who thinks he is wise in his own eyes. Let us consider ourselves low and of no account whatsoever. Let us count others better than ourselves. Let us love others more than we love ourselves. Let us seek the good. Let us desire the good and blessing of others more than we desire our own. Let us crave that everyone but ourselves would receive all of the gifts of God. Let us glory in this overlooking everyone's faults so that God can give them the good gifts he intends to give them through us. This is precisely what Jesus means when he says that it is good for him to go away. That was shocking to the disciples. In John chapter 16, just before Jesus is crucified, he says, it's good for you that I go away, and that didn't make any sense to them, but he explains why. He says, when I go away, I'm going to send you the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, And the Holy Spirit is going to do some very important work among you. The first important work that he's going to do is he's going to be there to convict you of your sins. He's going to convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. That is to say, he's going to shine a light on everything that is wrong with us. He's going to expose everything that is wrong with the world, and he's going to cast judgment on the ruler of this world. He is judged. This world cannot make it on its own. We cannot make it on our own. But the Holy Spirit has come to reveal that to us so that he can give us his gifts. 
so that he can teach us not to trust in ourselves, in our own words, in our folly, but instead so that we can learn to trust in our Savior, who wants to bear fruit in our lives. He doesn't just want to forgive our sins. He doesn't want to just give us a get-out-of-jail-free card, but he wants his Spirit to bear fruit in our lives. And the fruit of the Spirit is abundant. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all of those things that he wants to give you, it's good that Jesus went away so that he could send you his spirit and give you those gifts so that he could teach you to be slow to anger, so that he could fulfill in you what James hopes for you, what I hope for you, that you would always be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger, just like your heavenly Father. To God alone be all glory now and forever. Amen.